it was date night last night. And as a dietitian that specializes in binge eating, I thought it would only be right to watch the whale. Goodbye diets and hello, sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. I thought it'd be interesting to share with you all my take on it because I see this day in and day out, not to the severity. I will say in all my years working as a dietitian in the intuitive eating and binge eating space, 99% of my patients are not at the level of severity that Charlie, the main character is at in, in this story. And so what I have to share is the stories that I've seen over the years and how it almost echoes the story that Charlie has in the story, but to a lesser severity. And so when I walked into the movie theater, my partner wanted a drink. So we went to the bar in the theater to get drinks. And standing next to me was a man, a middle-aged man who was also getting drinks. And we asked him what he was watching. And he brought his kids to watch the Avatar. He asked us what we were watching. And I tried to think about how to explain this movie based on the trailer I watched. And three things came to mind. The moment I said them out loud, I wanted to take them back. I said that this is a movie about a man with obesity who is a dad and just feels a lot of guilt. And I was walking to get popcorn with my boyfriend. And I was like, why did I say obesity? Like of all things, I could have I said a man living in a bigger body, a man dealing with tough emotions, a man going through a lot of shame and coping through food. There were so many other ways I could have said it. And I wish I hadn't said the word obesity. And you might think, okay, why? Why is that not appropriate? It's as if, imagine you're someone happily going through your day or you're going through your day and a medical professional says, you're doing it wrong. You have this. And you had thought nothing of your life up until that point, until that person said, you have an issue. This is the issue you have. It automatically puts someone in a box and it makes you question everything, right? Like, am, am I, do I have a problem? What do I need to fix? Do I need to fix myself? That's what the word obesity does, I think, on a, a psychological level. And the word obese means to have eaten oneself fat. And that is such a, it just feels like such a wrong way of thinking about being in a larger body. It's not about lack of willpower. It's not about having a food addiction. I think that oversimplifies the experience. And a lot of people in larger bodies, they might have a perfectly healthy and intuitive relationship with food. But if the word overweight and obese is tacked on to their existence, it just feels so wrong. And so I think this movie does a really great job of showing the complexities of someone's relationship with food and how emotions and coping with emotions come into play and how it's not just about willpower or lack of discipline or food addiction or how could this person be so big? Like it, it really does bring a compassionate lens to someone who lives in this kind of a body and what they've gone through. And so watching the movie and there's going to be plenty of spoilers ahead. So please watch the movie and then listen to this. But as I was watching the movie, I was thinking Charlie has lived such a, a life full of highs and lows. And I think, you know, thinking about his story, he married a woman, had a daughter, and then went on to fall in love with a man. And during that time, the man he was in love with was part of a church who basically disowned him. And that man must have felt so much shame that he took his own life. 
And Charlie has since lived with all of that grief and maybe feeling responsible for his death, for having loved a man and not been able to fix him. And also during this time, his wife had cut communications with him so that he wasn't able to see his daughter. And so fast forward eight years when he sees his daughter, he sees how much anger she has for him for abandoning her or, you know, her perception was that he had abandoned her for all of these years. And that fuels probably so much regret in a parent feeling like you've hurt your child. I can only imagine what that feels like. And throughout the movie, this is what really stood out to me. Charlie kept on saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for choking and almost dying on you. I'm sorry for being here and being your dad. I'm sorry for being the way that I am. I'm sorry for being this big. I'm sorry to be alive. You can see in Charlie how much he he feels sorry for even being alive. It's apparent that he doesn't see himself very highly. He He thinks of himself as not deserving. And that's so painfully apparent. And the thing about someone who feels like they're not deserving, it's such a negative spiral. You know, that's how self-sabotage happens, right? If you don't feel like you deserve nice things or you don't deserve love or happiness or you are flawed or there's an issue with you or that you have a problem that you need fixing, that really highlights how a person thinks of themselves contrast that with a person of high self-esteem. That person with high self-esteem might think, oh, of course I deserve this trip. Of course I deserve this nice meal out. Of course I deserve happiness and love and a loving partner and a partner who stimulates me and all of these things. And the difference there is a person with high self-esteem has probably done things that have helped them feel esteem for themselves. For example, a person who really cares about staying true to their word, right? If I tell a friend I'm going to meet up with them, I will do it. And if they do that over and over again, that boosts someone's self-esteem of, yeah, I said that and I did it. Cool. Or, you know, I told myself that I was going to drink water and I have, I've been respecting and taking care of myself. I said I was going to do something and I did it and they did it. That boosts someone's self-esteem. Or if someone promised someone else, you know, that they were going to do something, that they did it. That all increases the esteem that we have for ourselves. That's literally what self-esteem is. I think for Charlie, he must have disappointed himself over and over again, or at least his perception is that he's disappointed himself and others over and over again, whether that's with his partner. You know, he couldn't save his partner. Even though he loved him so much, he thought that loving his partner would save him. It didn't. That must have been disappointing. Or the fact that he didn't realize how his daughter felt abandoned by him. That must have fueled so much disappointment in himself and regret. And so you can see the more that we're in this spiral, the more that we want to hurt ourselves or the more that we don't think we deserve anything better, right? I deserve to feel bad. I deserve to be in this body. I deserve to bury myself alive with weight and food. I don't deserve any better because I'm a bad person. That's essentially what I took away from Charlie and how he felt and why he's gone from being in a mobile body where he could still walk around and do the things he wants to do with the body to now a body that can't move, that can't even pick up a key on the floor, that needs a stroller to get from room to room. And so that's something that is 
honestly so heart-wrenching to see. And I think we each of us has a complex relationship with food, some less so. Some people don't even give a thought about food. Food is food. Emotions are emotions. And we don't kind of mix the two too much and we don't use food as a coping mechanism. And others of us, maybe having grown up without emotional vocabulary or being able to tell how we feel or not having family members to highlight emotions. I think those are the situations where we don't know how to deal with our emotions. We don't even know how to name our emotions. And because of that, food is the only way we know how to self-soothe. That's kind of what happens when our emotions are so layered and so deep and so unresolved. For more nuisance-based emotions like stress and boredom, those are like little hubs that we can get through daily, right? If I just make a list of things that'll be stimulating, I can get through some of my boredom and stress. Great. But for Charlie, it's like layers of regret and grief and remorse and, you know, low self-esteem that, um, that has caused him to spiral from his previous mobile body to now. In the most pivotal scene, the essay that his daughter wrote about Moby Dick, the essay was saying how in Moby Dick, the book, the character just has the intention of killing the whale. He just wants to kill the whale. And when I saw that scene, I was thinking, huh, I wonder why Charlie is resonating with this essay so much. And especially this like killing of the whale, like what is that about? And upon reflection, I think it's him saying like he he himself hates the whale, which is himself. And he's been wanting to almost unalive himself all of these years. He's just literally been burying himself alive with weight and food, right? I think there's so much self-hatred there. And so the I'm sorry and the low self-esteem and, you know, not feeling like he deserves more really stood out to me. And I think the more that I work with patients on body image and, you know, the, the piece that I work on most is body image. How do you see yourself in your body? That's one part of it, right? I think that's a, that's a small piece, but the more that I get to know my patients, the more that I realize it's how do you see yourself? Like what gives you confidence? What do you value? And are you doing the things that you value? And are you keeping to your word? Everything that we do in body image also ties to self-esteem, helping you buoy yourself up and spiral upwards. And how can I keep doing the, the things on a daily basis that help me feel like I'm doing the things that are important to me and I'm not letting myself down? That is a lot of this deep work. And I wonder someone in Charlie's shoes, you know, why he wasn't able to spiral upwards after all of these years, you know, was there a point where he was able to pivot and not continue the self-sabotage. And I think he's in Idaho. He lives in a more rundown, smaller condo or apartment. He's been saving all of his money to give to his daughter. Again, that points to, you know, he doesn't value himself and his own happiness in life and getting the support he needs. He just wants to give it to his daughter. And I think for a lot of us, and the reason maybe why my patients, 99% of them are not at the level of severity that Charlie is in is because they've taken the step to value themselves enough to get support. And my boyfriend was the one that actually pointed it out. He asked me, Elise, like how many patients of yours are like Charlie? And I was like, honestly, none, but there's only one person I can think of in all of my years that might go down the path of Charlie if left unchecked, but he is checking himself because he's seeing a therapist and me every week, every month. And that I think is a level of 
feeling like you deserve help, that you deserve support, that you can get support. That's what Charlie doesn't have. I don't think Charlie values himself enough to know that he deserves more and he can get the help. Like the entire time he has congestive heart failure and his friend says, you have to go to the hospital. And he says, no, I want to give that money to my daughter. So you can see he feels so badly about himself that he just doesn't feel like he deserves any support, even if it's life or death. And he literally only has seven days to live with congestive heart failure. So that's why my patients are not at Charlie's level of severity, but I'm sure there's a myriad of other reasons as well. But the one patient that comes to mind that if left unchecked could go down the the rabbit hole that Charlie has gone down is someone who also lives with a lot of shame. His shame comes from, I think, growing up in a certain religion that really does instill a lot of guilt and shame for everything that you do, you know, whether you're doing something right or you're being moral enough or even your sexuality. That is so detrimental to me. I think this story also highlights, you know, his his partner killed himself because of the shame of being gay while having grown up in a church that condemned probably homosexuality. And I always think about this and food guilt, right? Church religious guilt or shame around who you are from the outside world is one thing, but food guilt and the guilt you feel about what you did or didn't do or what you ate and didn't eat, you know, that's self-imposed guilt. And every time someone tells me that they have food guilt, I think, oh no, you're spiraling down. Every time you you feel guilt, you're going to spiral down because what happens when we feel guilty? We think, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that first bite of that cookie. Ugh, I have no willpower. I have no discipline. And well, I'm already, you know, a bad person or I like, I don't have willpower. I'm just going to keep going forward because I messed up. That guilt literally is a sinkhole. Guilt on a macro external level is one thing. On an internal level, you don't need to feel guilty, guys. Unless you stole a cute dog out of a grocery store and kept it for yourself, that's the only time you should feel guilty and maybe return the dog back to the owner. But unless you've stolen something, and if you just had a bite of a cookie or if you had like a whole cake, like don't even put that guilt on yourself. It's not going to lead to anything good. It also highlights the one scene in The Whale where he was starting to establish a relationship with his pizza delivery guy. I think his name is Dan. And Dan puts the pizza outside of his door and just gets the money from the mailbox. And one day Dan introduces himself like, hey, are you okay in there? I'm Dan. And Charlie introduces himself. And then another scene goes by and Charlie opens the door thinking that the delivery guy had left, but Dan was still standing there and Dan saw him and a look of disgust flashed before his eyes. And that I think triggered Charlie's binge. He went back inside the house and he just had a full on binge. And you can see that that is when someone's response to you and how you look triggers your own feeling of negativity about yourself. And it's just a binge spiral. I will say that binge scene was a little bit exaggerated. Having been someone who has had binge episodes before, you know, it it has never been like that, but I, I get it. I think that scene really did highlight how others' perception of you really affects how you see yourself. And if it's not positive, it's only harmful. And again, going back to the obesity conversation, when the entire medical community has adopted this whole obesity is an issue, it's a medical condition. 
they kind of see someone in a bigger body in this medical issue light, right? I think it was 2013 that the medical community started to declare it as a disease, obesity. It's almost like they see someone in a bigger body as lesser than, right? Like you have an issue. This is going to sound so silly. I am someone who lives in a very small body, but I'm just imagining if I lived in a bigger body and my medical practitioner looked at me and thought, oh, this person is obese. This person has an issue. This person has a medical condition because of my body. How awful is that? That does nothing good. It might even trigger more self-sabotage. It will. It definitely does. That's why so many people in bigger bodies are so afraid to go to the hospital or to see their primary care provider because of that judgment. It's already enough to judge ourselves, but when the medical community judges us for living in a body that, you know, our weight is so sometimes out of our control, as you can see from the movie, it's the complexity of emotions coping, but also sometimes we just have bigger bones and we just naturally live in bigger bodies and we can be completely healthy. Here's a statistic that really stands out to me um, that I want to just put out there because I think it's so helpful. Most studies find that people who are overweight or moderately obese live at least as long as normal weight people and often longer. And further, up to 75% of obese individuals are metabolically healthy based on studies with their blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar. And lastly, weight loss increases the risk of premature death among obese individuals. It's, yeah, it's not a sin to live in a bigger body. What I will say is the question is, can we all be healthy at every size? I think in Charlie's case, clearly not. He has congestive heart failure, right? But that's because he really hasn't been taking care of himself. He hasn't been able to get out of the self-sabotage sinkhole. And so no, in Charlie's case, Not all bodies can be healthy. His body is not healthy. He's fully disconnected from his body. If we think about our bodies, you know, we have a mind, soul, and spirit. When we are able to listen to our body, our body does itch to move. It itches to be flexible. It wants to be mobile. And if we do the things that give our body that movement, it's going to be able to provide you with happiness too. You know, we're all happiest with freedom, right? Freedom to speak our mind, freedom to think whatever thoughts we have, freedom to move our bodies. But he's literally trapped himself in his body. He, you know, I'm sure at one point felt connected to his body. He was mobile, but at one point he just forgot about his body. I think at one point he just disregarded that he had a body. He didn't care anymore. So for someone who is at that level where he, they just no longer care about their bodies, they don't think they deserve to be mobile or free in their bodies, then no, that person is not healthy on a physical level and emotionally they do need support. But someone who lives in a bigger body, that is listening to their bodies, moving their bodies. They're doing everything they can to be mobile and agile and flexible and taking care of their bodies. Then so what? You know, 75% of people in overweight or obese bodies are completely metabolically healthy. Their insides are totally fine. They just happen to live in a bigger frame. that's the case where it's like, so what? So that's the one thing I wanted to highlight. And I will say I did cry. I shed a tear at one point, the theater, there were multiple people that were crying at the end of the movie. It's just such a, it's just such a lovely movie that depicts the pains that a person struggles, this internal struggle with themselves. But also, you know, it's funny in the last scene, he finally 
is able to walk towards his daughter unassisted as he's taking his last breaths. And I just wonder about the significance of that last scene of it's always, I think, at the very end where we realize that he could do one thing right. He can instill in his in his daughter how much he loves her and thinks that she's a good person. That's the only thing he wants to do right. And he can by walking towards her unassisted. And it's one of those things where maybe it takes something so drastic as, you know, you have seven days to live for us to make those changes and think about ourselves differently and change the beliefs that we have ourselves about ourselves. And this is actually, now that I'm talking about it out loud, that makes sense because I think we grow up, we live our lives believing certain things, right? And we think I have this problem. This is my character flaw. I'm just not a good person, or I don't believe I deserve blah, 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 blah. And unless something so catastrophic is before your eyes, whether it's like you're diagnosed with cancer or you're going to die soon. That's when we start to finally challenge those beliefs and be like, no, in my last few breaths, I want to make everything right. I want to think differently. I want to believe differently. And I think that's what happened. So I guess this is just going back to say, you know, every day is a new day. You don't have to be in the sinkhole of your beliefs that are not serving you. You can choose to believe different things about yourself. You can choose to, you know, think differently, act differently. That I guess is my takeaway now that I'm talking it through. Yeah. We don't have to be in a negative spiral and believe things that don't serve us. We can believe new things. We have a whole life ahead of us and imagine spending the majority of our days believing that we're good people, believing that we can do good for the world, believing that we can stay true to our words, believing that we deserve more. Had he done that earlier, he probably would have felt better about himself and perhaps gotten the support that he needed. And so that's what I think about when I think about the last scene. If you haven't watched it already, highly recommend. It stimulated a lot of thought, stimulated a lot of conversation. And I think it it highlights that everyone's story is so complex to never point a finger and assume and judge that it's not as simple as it looks. And for those of you who have support, that's so amazing, whether it's through friends or conversations with strangers or your therapist or a dietitian, you're really doing such a great job taking care of yourself. And for those of you who don't feel like you have support or don't even feel like you deserve support, I challenge you to think differently. So until next time, I'll see you next Monday. If you love this episode and are so ready to take action and become the most carefree version of yourself with food, I think it's time for you to slide into my DMs at Craving Food Freedom. I would love to get to know you and see what magic can unfold with private coaching, the two of us. Until then, I'll be rooting for you always on your journey towards food freedom.